Good morning, Christ Point. I was reminded just this week of Paul's words to Timothy uh, when he wrote to him and said, I recall your tears. I long to see you again so that I may be filled with joy. I miss seeing you face to face, but I'm so grateful for the technology that we have uh, where I can be in your living room or at your kitchen table and still bring you uh, the living, active word of God. And so I pray that God would use our time together this morning or this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're watching this, to really impact your life, change your heart, and stir your affections for Jesus. Now, that doesn't just happen, so let's pray that God would move and act this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, thanks so much for uh, your grace and for your goodness to us. Thank you for the joy that I have this morning to open up uh, your word and uh, give it to uh, your people. Lord, I pray that you would move and act in the hearts and lives of your folks this morning. I pray that you would stir their affections for you. I pray that you would open our eyes and you would fill our hearts with hope and your peace. God, we love you. We expect great things from you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about hope in hardship, hope in times of hardship. And full disclosure out of the gate, uh, my hope in hardship oftentimes is to get out of hardship. Uh, this is true when I face significant hardship in life. It is true when I face circumstances that I would describe as minor inconveniences. I was reminded a number of years ago, it was a Saturday afternoon, Melissa and I had the kids out of the house, and we were talking about how we were going to spend our afternoon, and she said, James, what do you want to do today? To which I replied, I don't know, what do you want to do today? And I'll never forget her response. She said, James, uh, they're selling puppies off of Derrida Road. Do you want to go look at the puppies? And I made a catastrophic air and said, yeah, let's do that. And so we drove to this house on Derrida Road where they had Jack Russell Terrier puppies. 27 minutes later, we were driving to PetSmart to buy dog food. Uh, looking back, that was not a good decision, and I quickly realized it. It was about the second night in the middle of the night as I heard the dog whimpering, and I thought to myself, you know, I can deal with kids being up in the middle of night. Human beings, I have patience for, but little four-legged furry friends, I do not. And so after a few days, I called my parents who live in Michigan, and I said, listen, mom and dad, I'm in a bit of a bind. We have a dog. I don't want him. Can I give him to you? I said, look, and listen, I've looked at the map, you live in Michigan, I live in North Carolina, we can meet in the middle, Marietta, Ohio, exit one, I still remember it today. I said, Dad, I'll see you Saturday at 11. And he said, James, are you sure? I paused for a moment and said, well, I'll pray about it. Yes, yes, I'm sure, exit one, Marietta, Ohio, be there on Saturday. And so I had every intent of taking Jack the dog to Marietta, Ohio to give him to my parents because quite honestly, he was a inconvenience to my sleep. My dad called me later that week and said, James, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, I, 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we should keep him. He goes, James, he goes, I think your kids would love the dog. We'll take him if you want us to, but, but really think about keeping the dog. And I said, okay. And so we ended up keeping him. And Jack, who is a Jack Russell Terrier, was full of life and full of energy. And so I started asking friends, how long before he chills out? How long before he calms down? And they said, James, if you can make it through the first year with a puppy, you are going to be fine. Just make it through the first year. And so I made it through the first year. And Jack did not settle down. And so I got new friends. And I asked them, how long before this dog settles down? And they said, if you can make it through the first two years, the dog will settle down. You'll be fine. And so we made it through the first two years. Jack our Jack Russell Terrier, did not settle down. And so once again, I got new friends and asked them, how long before this dog settles down? And they said, well, James, what kind of dog do you have? And I said, well, I have a Jack Russell Terrier. And they said, yeah, that dog's not settling down. <laughs> I wanted so desperately in the midst of an uncomfortable situation to get out of the situation. I was facing a minor inconvenience in my life, and I can't tell you how many times I thought, how can I change my circumstances to alleviate the discomfort that I'm feeling today? You know what? I don't think I'm the only one. I think oftentimes in life when we face circumstances that are uncomfortable for us or when we face legitimate hardship, we want to immediately get out. Something tells me that you might be experiencing hardship today. Maybe you are worried or afraid that you're going to lose your job. Maybe you already have. Maybe you're looking at your bank statement, wondering how you're going to bridge the gap because you're in between jobs or you're wondering when you're going to be able to come back and work. And so your finances that at one time seem very secure in your mind uh, suddenly feel very uncertain. Maybe today you are worried about your own personal health or the health of a loved one. Maybe this virus that is sweeping our country and sweeping the world is a legitimate concern for you. It literally is life and death. And you want so desperately, understandably so, to get out of the hardship. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about hope in the midst of hardship. And I want to ask you a question, and the question is this, what if our ultimate hope in hardship is not to be uh, immediately delivered from the hardship? Is it possible in your life and in my life to experience something more life-giving than simply having our circumstances change? In Scripture, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who was someone whose life had been radically changed by Jesus and wrote a significant portion of the books in the New Testament, writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1 and gives them hope in the midst of hardship. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me there. I want us to think together about Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1 at the end of verse 18, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now you have to understand when Paul wrote this book 
uh, Paul was in prison. Uh, Philippians is one of the prison epistles. Uh, Paul didn't get mixed up with uh, the wrong crowd. Uh, He didn't commit a white-collar crime. Uh, He didn't one day stumble across a science project in his basement and realize that there was a way that he could make cash on the side. Uh, The crime that Paul committed was his life had been changed by Jesus, and he couldn't help but tell other people about Jesus. The beginnings of the church at Philippi are recorded for us in Acts chapter 16, When Paul was in Philippi during his second missionary journey, he came across a young girl who was possessed by an evil spirit. Uh, Paul, oftentimes as he did, cast the spirit out of the girl. Well, the, the girl was owned by people who were making money off of her abilities uh, that she had. As you can imagine, they were furious with Paul because uh, their means of income or their source of income was ripped out from under them. And so what they did is had Paul and Silas, who was an evangelist, thrown in prison and beaten. So Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. I can assume that the vast majority of us probably have not had this particular experience before. There are times when we read the Bible and we think to ourselves, I know what that's like. I've been there before. I've had that experience before. I can venture to say that the vast majority of us have not had this particular experience. And yet, I still think we can glean from Paul's message here in Philippians chapter 1. I love what he says at the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul says, yes, I will rejoice. Can I be honest with you? That is weird. That's weird. I mean, if that's me, if I'm in prison wrongfully for something that I did not do, if I'm being persecuted, if I'm feeling pressed, if I'm experiencing hardship, uh, I probably more than likely am not thinking, praise the Lord. And yet that's what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. I will rejoice. And then he says, through your prayers and through the spirit of the living God, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul says there's two means that God is going to use to deliver me. Uh, The first is your prayers. Christ point, do you know that your prayers matter? Your prayers matter. Your prayers move the heart of God. God hears your prayers and responds to your prayers. One of the temptations in the Christian life is to think that our prayers really don't change anything or to think that our prayers don't matter or to think that our prayers hit the ceiling and go no further. But Paul is saying here, I know the prayers of the church will result in my deliverance. He says there's one other thing that's going to result in my deliverance. He says it is the Spirit of God. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. Uh, One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to be our helper. The Spirit is God, the Spirit, who moves and acts in our hearts and lives and changes uh, the world around us. 
As Paul is in prison, uh, he sits back with confidence and says, I will rejoice because I know the prayers of the church, your prayers, and the movement of the Spirit of God will result in my deliverance. Now, when I read that, I immediately ask myself, well, what does Paul mean when he talks about uh, my deliverance? What What does that mean? Because I hear that and I think to myself, Paul must be talking about his circumstances changing. He finds himself in prison, and his hope is that he'll get out of prison, and he will return uh, to normal life. Oftentimes, we, we think that way when we think about God's deliverance. I'm experiencing a situation in life that I do not want to experience. My hope is that God will deliver me. He will deliver me from a bad relationship. He will deliver me from financial hardship. He will deliver me from a bad job or a bad career or a bad addiction. Uh, God will take me from where I am and pluck me out of my problems and place me in a better situation. I don't know about you, but, but that's typically what I think of when I think of being delivered from my circumstances. And listen, there are times when, when God does that. There are times when God moves and acts in our hearts and lives in such a way that our circumstances are radically changed. But listen, I, I don't think Paul is referring to his immediate present-day circumstances when he talks about uh, being delivered from them. He says in verse 20, uh, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so Paul is telling the church, yes, I will be delivered. I will be delivered. Christ will be honored in my body, but Christ uh, will be honored in the life of Paul, not in the way that you or I might think. You see, Paul's response to suffering is not confidence that he will be delivered from his immediate suffering. I say that because the word that's used here for a deliverance is used in other places by Paul to talk not about immediate deliverance from his circumstances, but this eternal deliverance into the presence of God. The scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, right? He'll, he'll deliver me from every evil deed. And then he says, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Paul was confident that he would be delivered, but Paul's confidence was that he would be delivered ultimately and not necessarily immediately. Notice what he says again in verse 20. He writes, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So so don't miss Paul's hope. Paul's hope is that he will not be ashamed It is that he will have courage, and it is that Christ would be honored, whether by life or by death. Can I tell you something? Um, That mindset, that kind of mentality, that is different. That is unusual. 
that does not seem normal uh, for me. Uh, when I am in, in the midst of hardship or when I am inconvenienced, do you know what I want? Do you know what I have wanted? I want chicken. Like, I want chicken. I want to be able to go to the grocery store and get chicken and beef. I want to be able to walk down aisle eight of Harris Teeter and see toilet paper stacked from floor to ceiling. I want my kids to be able to go uh, back to school. I want the market to shoot back up uh, 30%. I want my parents not to have to worry about what retirement looks like for them now. That's what I want. If I'm honest, I want to be delivered from my uh, present day hardship. But that is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, more than anything, my longing in the midst of hardship, as I'm here in prison, my desire and my passion is that Christ would be honored. I want Christ to be honored. He says in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two, Paul says. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Right, so, so Paul says, more than anything, I want Christ to be honored. And then he talks about two different ways or two unique ways in his life that Christ can be honored. Uh, Paul says those two ways are to live well, right? To live for Christ. And for Paul, that meant fruitful ministry. Paul had a single-mindedness in his life, right? He longed for fruitful ministry. And I get it. And I get it. I, I want the same thing uh, in, in my life. When I dream about and think about ministry, I, I do not want to be someone who is propped up in front of people for decades just to be hot air that speaks with no fruit. Right? I, when I think about ministry, I have a longing and passion for our, our children at our church uh, to be to be raised and to grow up, to know and love and follow hard and fast after Jesus. I, I want our students to be passionate about Christ and, and swim against the tide. And in a culture where two out of three uh, students oftentimes will drift from or leave the church in their 20s, I, I want us to be able to tell a different story. I don't want us to be a people who check out of church in our 20s, who get married and then check out of our families in our 30s and check out of faith in our 40s and 50s. I, I want ministry, fruitfulness, and faithfulness so that we will be a people who finish well. I long for that. I desire that. And so when Paul talks about fruitful and faithful ministry, I'm going like, yes and amen. Right? Paul isn't angling to be famous or to, to have a name for himself. He wants to be fruitful. He wants to be fruitful. Christ Point, can I tell you that, that this passage, this passage is not just for pastors. It's not just for pastors. It's not for people who stand up in front of uh, the masses. This is for you, son or daughter of the king. 
And don't you long for fruitful ministry? You know what fruitful ministry is? Fruitful ministry is when uh, you text a friend in love and say, I'm thinking about you. And I just wanted to check in and see how you were doing. Fruitful ministry is, is calling up a loved one or a colleague and telling them, I'm praying for you. I'm so sorry for what you're experiencing. I'm sorry for what you're going through. You do not have to be afraid. There is hope for you. Fruitful ministry is uh, taking groceries to the marginalized or to uh, the elderly and letting them know, even though we cannot see you uh, face to face, even though I cannot embrace you and hug you, I want you to know that I love you. And so I've thought about you and I'm here to help you. That is fruitful ministry. That is Paul's longing. I, I want ministry, Paul says, if I'm going to be here, I want it to be fruitful. But there is something else that Paul talks about that is even better than fruitful ministry. It might surprise you. He said the, the one thing that is better than staying, than remaining and experiencing fruitful ministry is death. For Paul, death is gain. Death is gain. He says in verse 23, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better. That's unusual. Paul, in essence, is thinking, you know, I have these two beautiful options in my life. On one hand, I think about my hardship and I think, God, keep me here so that I can experience fruitful ministry. But Paul says there is something even better than fruitful ministry. Death. Death. That's what he says in verse 21 or 23. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is better. Paul says in essence, like, give me what's behind door number two. I want to be with Jesus, because being with Jesus for Paul is better than anything else, anything else in the world. Among the ruins of ancient Carthage, there is an inscription carved by a Roman soldier that says this, to laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to game. That is life. Not for Paul. Paul says that is not life. For Paul, life is being with Jesus, seeing him face to face. Being with Jesus is not disappointing. Being with Jesus is not disappointing. It's not missing out. It's not less than something that is better here and now. When a brother or sister in the faith uh, passes and they go to be with Jesus, they are not disappointed by what they are missing out on here on this earth. For the Christian, dying is gain because dying means that you get to be with Jesus. You get to experience Jesus. 
you get to have the joy of being in his presence. Uh, Paul can say that because he believes that Jesus is better than anything else that he experiences in life. Uh, Being with Jesus is better than financial stability. Being with Jesus is better than marital bliss. Being with Jesus is better than having and raising kids. Being with Jesus is better than college life or your dream job. Being with Jesus is better than success, and it is better than sex. It is better than attending the big game or concert that you've always wanted to go to. Being with Jesus is better than a promotion. It is better than being in the best shape of your life. Being with Jesus is better than your health. It is better than falling in love. It is better than ministry. Jesus is better. If Jesus was not better, Paul would not have said to be with Jesus is far better. He's like over and above anything that I could experience in this life, even good things like ministry, fruitfulness. Paul's saying it is better to be with Jesus. This is what I want. So Paul's confidence in his deliverance is his confidence in his ultimate deliverance, that he will be with Jesus forever. This, uh, for the Christian, is our hope and hardship, that Christ would be exalted whether by life or by death. If you are a Christian, uh, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if God has opened up your eyes to the beauty of Christ, then I want you to know that regardless of what comes your way in life, whether it's the next two weeks, the next uh, two months, or the next two years, you win because you get Jesus. What's interesting is that Paul actually was um, delivered from this immediate circumstance that he found himself in only to quickly be arrested again and spend his last days in prison. Paul writes to his brother Timothy, his partner in ministry, the, the one he discipled and says to him in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 and 8, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. After Wayne Uh, Two good options. Paul says, my longing and desire, my hope is that Christ would be honored. Paul wrote in verse 24 of Philippians chapter 1, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he compares these two good options and he says, I know for right now it's necessary for your sake, for me to remain. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again. So so Paul uh, considers two great options, and he takes a step back, and he says, it's more necessary uh, for me to remain. Why? Paul says, for your progress in the faith, uh, for your progress and 
for your joy so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. So Christ's point, what, what is our hope? What is your hope in the midst of hardship? For Paul, his hope above anything else was that Christ would be exalted, that he would be exalted. And, and for Paul, that meant that he would experience fruitful ministry. In other words, that he would live well, that he would chase after and pray and labor uh, for the joy of God's people. But he also makes a case here uh, that, that to honor Christ means to die victoriously, to experience the absolute joy of being with King Jesus. I love what the psalmist writes when he says, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures uh, forevermore. Either way, either way, live or die, uh, Christ is exalted and you win. Christ is exalted and you win. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for the hope uh, that you have given to us in your son, Jesus. God, I pray for your people in our community and in our state and country and around the world. God, I, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, allow us to experience fruitful ministry. I pray that our mindset would be such that our ultimate thought would not be, how can I get out of the current circumstance I am in? Instead, I pray that you would give us the mindset in the heart that says, how can I serve your people and people in my community and people in the world right now? God, I thank you that you have given us a hope not only for today, but forever. Thank you, Lord, that we have the hope one day of seeing you face to face. Your word says that uh, one day we will see you face to face and we will be like you. God, give us a longing and a desire and a passion for that day. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much that you have loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.